listening to the Middle Cut Podcast. Irish whiskey in conversation. Brought to you by Potstilled.com. Your one-stop shop for Irish whiskey news and interviews. Now, it's time for your hosts. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Middle Cup Podcast. As always, I am your host, Matt Healy, and I am delighted to be joined by the lovely uh, Matt Ella, Mr. Matt Jones, the whiskey nerd. How are you doing today, Matt? Doing very well. It is a fantastic looking day, so looking forward to what should be a nice conversation and a very good weekend. Absolutely. Lovely and warm. It's turning up with a few little bits of audio here. But as always, this is the Middle Cup Pro- Podcast, which is a part of Potstilled Radio. You can check out more information on potstilled.com or check us out on any of the social media feeds. I am delighted uh, to be welcoming a brand new sponsor to the show, uh, which is WD O'Connell Whiskey Merchants, one of the finest uh, independent bottlers in Ireland, but now also one of the most premium uh whiskey bottlers as well so if you have any bottling needs uh for your irish whiskey spirits brands uh do check out wd o'connell whiskey merchants um so i think we are going to have a good show but yourself and myself we've been talking about a lot of different topics over the last little while we have been talking about um whiskey live we've been talking about a few other bits about the industry and now we're going to be looking as the industry rolls into possibly a, a big new period uh, which is going to be uh, what appears to be an ending uh, consumer consultation process, which is a sexy uh, um, about the Irish whiskey technical file and specifically about the definition of single pot still Irish whiskey. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. Um, and I hope you're excited. Uh, because oh, this very, excited. very big turning point. for the consumer consultation. Doesn't, doesn't get, get you more excited than a consumer consultation. Exactly. Well, I know it's not um, possibly one of the sexiest of, of uh, topics for uh, a podcast, but it is a very important one. When it comes to this, we'll go through it a little bit later on, but this is where the consumers of the world, of, of Irish whiskey world, will need to have their voices heard. Um, change probably isn't going to come without the the consultation and, and the opinions of consumers, um, which is a very big Backstory, but basically in 2021, the industry came together with two different kind of lobbying groups, the Irish Whiskey Association and the Craft Whiskey Guild, and essentially applied to the government to change the technical file definition of pot still from its current, which is 5% other grains, to a a more historically correct 30% uh, other grains. The department's kind of, uh, the department's had objections, the department's had its own kind of opinions on it. I'm not really sure where they're opinions came from but um one thing is for sure that they're now apparently going to public consultation soon they've said it within the next month um that's not a very specific time period and they've said within the next month a couple of times but i'm not on the inside track but i am on the outside track to bring you what information we do have and tell you to use your consumer voice because this change won't happen without um the people of the consumers of the industry having their say um and of course, as the actual date gets announced, we will also keep you informed of that. But um, it is very important because the change the industry wants to see happen won't happen without people actually um, rallying behind it. And it is like it is an important topic. I mean, obviously, it's it, it's whiskey. We all kind of are familiar with the idea of positive whiskey. But like the change to the technical file is kind of I always feel it, it's kind of important because. <clears throat> sets what is the geographical indication, the GI of a product. And that kind of, it lends legitimacy, lends like realism and trust in the consumers that what they're getting is what they're actually going to get. Because like there's, as you've heard, the, uh, the controversies about Japanese whiskey, where some distilleries were just importing whiskey from Scotland, blending it on site and then calling it Japanese whiskey, that kind of damaged trust in the industry. So it's important that consumers input in I have good kind of feedback into the consultation. So then the technical file comes out well and we have a good definition of what hostile whiskey is recognized in the history and getting a reliable product out there that consumers then can trust is going to be a good whiskey at the end of the day. Yeah. I mean, if we go into the, the, the grassroots of it, a GI is, is a geographic indication. It's essentially what the EU uses to protect um, different uh, food stuffs uh, around the world and traditional product. Uh, their, uh, traditional um, 
uh, ways are being made. Um, and that is something that comes down to it also is to, to recognize the reputation that comes with the place, how it's made traditional, um, practices, how it's made, uh, and also that, that reputation that comes with it above that kind of place. Um, for those that aren't familiar with GI is a really, a really easy example often made by people is, um, champagne. Uh, can't be made outside of the Champagne region in France because that is where it has a reputation of quality production uh, and that's why the GI is located to that region of France. Um, but it is a it is a long uh, a long changing process. Um, it has been in the works for quite a while. Um, it all kind of boils down to the technical file um, and the definition there within. Um, Matt, are, are you up to date on your technical file? I'm not 100%. I know what the details in it are, but the actual legislation, the actual backing of the technical file, I don't have all that information to hand, but it's, it's, I do know like, kind of the, the core definitions of what is the possible. Again, even me as a person saying we should have input into it, it is one of those things that I can, can get left behind where you focus on what is the whiskey, what is the casks, like at the end of the day, getting that legitimacy. And so you might, if there's any, any, secrets in there the technical file you might you might share them well i mean the technical file or the eu calls them product specification sheets it they're they're just a big lengthy document saying what is irish whiskey it's, it's essentially an opt-in document rather than an opt-out document uh, if you meet the criteria set within then you can call yourself irish whiskey um the base terms for irish whiskey are very simple they're also what are set out in the irish whiskey act of 1980 essentially Grain uh, distillate made with um, grains, uh, yeast, water, aged for a minimum of three years, and wood made on the island of Ireland, matured on the island of Ireland. That's based the base definition of whiskey. What this public consultation period is all around is not anything to do with base definitions. It's about one of the subcategories, which is single pot still Irish whiskey. Um, and within the Irish whiskey technical file, it says a couple of things. One, it says that the... Um, the single pot still category is going to be defined as a minimum of 30% malted barley, a minimum of 30% uh, unmalted barley, and a maximum of 5% other grains, or what they also notice as adjunct grains, such as wheat, oats, and rye. But at the moment, the current definition, it's not, it's not tied to that. You can use, no one has, but you can use anything else if you want to use millet, or if you want to use sorghum, or if you want to use rice, um, you could make a... Irish whiskey, a uh, single pot style Irish whiskey with with rice, if you wanted to, um, and that's why. And, and essentially, the argument from the Irish Whiskey Association and, and the Whiskey Guild, um, which is pretty unanimous across the board um, of the people in the industry, is that it is not historically accurate, um, and that's why they want it to be changed. That this was written, um, and it was essentially written at a time when people weren't focusing on single pot style whiskey. And does not reflect any of the history over a, the minimum at least the last 200 years as to what single pot still whiskey is and even by the definitions and consumer understandings of single pot still it doesn't lend itself to that either because you know the often cited in that technical file but also in consumer marketing is that pot still is oily and thick and viscous and spicy and those things are exemplified um with the addition of adjunct grains um, both anecdotally and um, but also the the Irish whiskey in-house phenomenon that is Fanon O'Connor um, has also uh, outlined this through both um, sensory analysis with 27 master blenders and distillers cross country but also through um, gas chromatography um, that the more the adjuncts you add in in the categories of wheat, oats and rye lend themselves to these oily distillates and spirits that are just malt and unmalted barley actually don't trend as uh, close to the to the characteristics that define it they actually go much closer towards um floral and and sweet which are by the technical files definition you're into the world the world of malt whiskey at that point so okay. it's almost the the more the adjuncts lead more to the pot still uh, flavors than than otherwise so I remember talking to uh, Michael Walsh about Bowan, who he, that he worked with uh, with Fanon and actually distilling those like, kind of historical mash, some of those historical mash bills. He, the way he explained it as well is that it's not just about you can add five or six percent oats and five or six percent rye. It's also when you take 
away, when you add in, like, say, 10% rye, you're also making sure there's less malted barley, there's less unmalted barley in there. And then the chemical interaction within, between the grains will change. It's not just adding 5%, it's also taking away 5% of something else. So it changes the way things work in the fermentation. <coughs> and then down it's through into the distillation. Then obviously phenomenal is, is gas chromatography, something I've, I've never <laughs> experienced uh, doing or actually seeing anyone do it. But in terms of it's a, the chemical reaction is very important. Something that they probably weren't doing, weren't doing gas chromatography five, six, seven hundred years ago. But when we look at the historical mashables, we look at the, the kind of descriptions of the flavors and the tastes and the profiles of those whiskies, like you can actually see that, yeah, it should be more spicy. And how you get that is by working and kind of experimenting with the grains. And that's what, what, they, what they're doing now with a lot of their distilleries. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, I mean, with with the, they definitely weren't doing gas or liquid chromatography a couple hundred years ago, but um, it is it is great to see that the I suppose the department um, were I had their concerns about um, the organoleptic uh, flavor of of single pot Irish whiskey and whether or not that would be corrupted by the addition of these um, uh, these other grains. But it seems to be I, I wasn't I'm not on the IWA. I didn't speak to the department directly, but that seems to be. From a couple of sources, what their chief concern was. Thankfully, Fanon, with the guys in Boam, have a huge battery of information that has gone through uh, chemical analysis as well as sensory analysis with these these master blenders, and it brings it to the point that they are uh, organoleptically much closer to what consumers expect, as well as what the te- the, the, the te- technical file actually defines it as, which is which is quite good. Um, and it also lends itself back to the farmers as well. Um, you know, this gives gives uh, another crop, um, especially for uh, instead of cover crops that'll be just sown or, or um, plowed back into the ground in in, in the winter time. Um, this gives options at that point as well um, for more biodiversity as well, and stopping you know kind of eradicating some of those problems of monocultures. Um, and and essentially at that point, bringing other other income. Uh, variables as well if if this is a part of irish whiskey production going forward we'll need much larger quantities of setting quality grains and we'll have another uh, avenue of of income for for the farmers you know there's a, there's a cost to sowing cover crops but there's also a cost to maintaining um these other uh grains if they are to harvest them so obviously it has to be financially viable for them but of course if it is, that just brings another income stream for, for the for the tillage farmers of Ireland. Yeah, because when Powers brought out their, their Powers rye, they actually, I don't want to say they made a big to-do about the fact that it was locally grown Irish rye, because Irish rye isn't a thing. You know, they, they specially commissioned rye to be grown in, I think it was at the Cooney farm uh, near the Middleton distillery. And the idea like, oh, because they, they couldn't get rye in Ireland because it's not grown here. And like, historically we would have been growing rye. So really, as you said, like, get the biodiversity in there, get different crops going through the rotation having the ability not just to just grow something to then just till it back into the soil to use it as silage but actually have something that can be used in whiskey production or in food production or, or, or other avenues going forward like it is there's there's more benefits than just for whiskey production yeah i mean and as well in terms of benefits still on the on the tillage side um the government has its climate action plan for 2030 and is trying to increase the total tillage land from I think 360,000 hectares to 400,000 hectares and I, I think you know it's one of those things that well first of all there was a report yesterday and Veronica came out yesterday and said we're missing all of our climate every every single sector of the economy is missing its climate action uh, targets um, but, but people aren't going to convert um, fallow land or dairy or beef land uh, used to to tillage if there isn't a market there if there isn't already something that they there's somewhere they can bring these grains to so this again has two folds oops, has a couple of folds of of, of avenues bring if this 30 percent adjunct grains are available to distillers you have that market developing within ireland for the for the adjunct grains if you look at the guys up in 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 dundalk county louth um you you've uh Lochran's malt and Lochran's farms, they grow loads of these specialty grains for the Irish whiskey industry. And they're, they're on top of it from their early adapters. Uh, so they're growing oats, they're growing rye, they're growing wheat. Um, 
and they're growing, you know, different varieties because you've got, if you speak to I suppose, any of the uh, American distillers or any of the kind of more uh, maverick Irish whiskey distillers, um, there's foaming, there's foaming rye and non-foaming rye, which also has its own issues. Um, so th they're working on different varietals to see with terms of foaming and flavor. So there's a lot of experimentation going on, but as I said, the Lochran's guys are definitely ahead of the curve, uh, getting in on, on this level. Um, and, and, you know, sorting the grain, drying it, and in certain cases, malting it as well, um, bagging it and getting it delivered to distilleries. So the, there is. There is a market for it at 5%, but a small market. It's where we're going to see this experimentation and historical accuracy is is with this this period of, of consultation if we get it, it passed. Yeah, and it's like, it, it's when you think about like the flavors of the grains, like obviously, like it's important to remember that there are flavors that come from the grains that will come through the whiskey. And it's not like it's just going to be a free-for-all and the, the category of pasta whiskey is just going to be blown open wide and it's going to be like a million different varieties. Like obviously some distilleries are going to hit on some mash bills that are going to work well. I mean, when you look at bourbon, it's you know, minimum 50% corn and then they can use other grains. And there's generally like, oh, it'll be 51% you know, corn, 12% malted barley, 10% rye. They have, there's a few kind of almost set mash bills that work. And it, it's not a thing where you're going to have one distillery making pastel that's different here, one distillery there, one distillery there. It'll end up, there will be a bit of a period of experimentation and they will find good mash bills. It's not like it'll be open season and everything and we can actually have a lot more kind of variety within the category of pasta whiskey that gives us good flavors rather than just an open field of you know not, not making whiskey that is is definable or is, is trustable yeah i mean it's one of those things that people will find you know like the distillers in the states which is a great example in terms of the mashville culture um which would have been abound in ireland at the time of bourbon being a fledgling spirit same with rye um but people will find house mash bills. You know, whiskey is about consistency. Production in the 21st century is finding something that works for you and keeping that consistent because if someone picks up a bottle in Johannesburg or they pick it up in Seoul, they want to know that if it says O'Doul's Irish whiskey on it and then you buy it in both locations, it'll taste the same. So if you've got a pot still, one variant, they you'll have to produce enough to, you know, keep that product consistent while experimenting around it if you so choose. And there'll be lots of distillers that won't have the capacity to use these other grains um, and will stick with their 50-50 mash bills or whatever they you know, so choose. It'll just be, a, it's a tapestry of flavor uh, that is both historically accurate, but also incredibly exciting for, for whiskey drinkers and producers. In, you know, for, for distillers, it's a, a very exciting time to be able to play with these spirits and find out these flavors. You know, um, oats, oats, wheat, and rye are the current... Um, suggested grains under the five percent rule uh but people can use any as i said uh, you can use rye or millet or sorghum or whatever um under the new suggested rule um which is under the consultation in, in a short period um this will be locked in to historically relevant grains which are oats wheat and rye and um, we didn't have other grains in any meaningful quantities um in irish distilling history but if you look into irish distilling history this 5% um, idea is, is a very new creation. Um, nothing pre-1980, pretty much across the board, um, falls falls into this category of, of the 5%. Um, nearly, I think, except for one dis distillery in, in the late 70s, had a 5% margin, which is, I think, where this rule kind of got based upon. Um, but everyone else would have had a margin of between seven and twenty-five percent grains. With with uh, people, a few stragglers up the top in the thirties, and, and a few at the bottom on the seven. But um, that was the norm of having these uh, extra grains in the mash bills. And nothing of this period in the nineteen sixties or the nineteen seventies would pass as single pot. So today, there's no there's no Bow Street whiskeys that are going to be classified as pot uh, Bow, uh, as pot still. There's no Middleton, old Middleton distillery whiskeys. No, there's no Tullamore distilleries uh, whiskey that's going to be classified as pot still. Um, so it really throws in the face of Irish whiskey history to not allow these recipes be used or called under single mm -hmm. pot still. Um, and there's been bottlings every every decade um, mm -hmm. since the changeover in the 1980s that have non what we call non now non-compliant pot still, yeah. which is what people 
base these assumptions on of the oiliness and the thick and the viscous and the spicy is bottlings of old Jemison seven-year-old or or locks um, from the closed distillery. Excuse me, whatever I'd be, Willie Napier, 44, and home 1951. These big, oily, boisterous um, spirits. And as I said, when you said at the beginning with GIs, it's about trust and consumer expectation. This is a part of the consumer expectation. We're telling them both as an industry and as an experiment, experiential point that pot still is these big, oily, spicy flavors. And then we give them something that yeah. is homogenous and isn't. There is a there is essentially a, a letdown there, particularly if the consumer can figure it out themselves through research that this other area exists. And less beholden to the fact that we make single pot still Irish whiskey. It comes from Ireland, but the, that is Irish whiskey is written on the end of that word. Yeah. Other nations can make pot still. And be the day that, you know, the US or Spain or like myself down in, uh, I met a guy in Perpignan making historically historically rooted uh, mixed mash bill uh, pot still that's, you know, 20% oats. These are the day, you know, there'll come a day where he'll be exporting into Ireland a historically accurate single pot still whiskey that will be perfectly fine to be called single pot still whiskey because it doesn't fall under any... GI, it's just a name. You could call it, you know, Big Circus Whiskey, if you, as much as you can call it Single Pasto because he doesn't have the words Irish Whiskey at the end, so it's not protected. It's the same as the States. People have these potentially far more hyster- historically accurate and, and potentially very flavorsome or more flavorsome recipes that they could bring to Ireland and essentially outperform us in our own categories. Yeah, because uh, they... It's it's great to see when you look at like if you do ever do like the the Middleton distillery tour, you see like the old log books or some of the old distilleries. They don't count as you said like in percentages. They don't count. Oh, this is the grain that arrived. They count. Oh, the farmer down the road had an extra bit of corn, an extra bit of rye, an extra bit of something. So he gave us an extra bag. And I think that's what Cologne uh, are kind of they're kind of leading some of the charge on like the idea of you can do a substitution and that idea that you know the consumers what they're used to in historical in various different flavors like. It would have been bags of grains. It wouldn't have been percentages. It wouldn't have been precise. It would have been the distillery had four bags of corn, and this week the the farmer had a one bag of rye. So we gave him a bag of rye, and they put it into it. And that's how I think they're doing their their mash bill description on their their baron tool releases. And this idea that historically you would have had this, and historically those recipes would have been brought over to America, teaching people how to make whiskey. And then they may decide to make bourbon instead, but you know they might decide to make whiskey. What, yeah. what, what is bourbon but pot still whiskey made with a different grain? You know, um, and, and as he yeah. said, like, it, there are the places over there. There's Owen uh, in Canada who are making uh, whiskey. There's uh, Talua over in Colorado. Colorado. There's O'Shaughnessy Distillery with Brian Nation. Like he could scale up and make historically accurate pot still that is beefy and spicy and oily, but isn't that homogenous part of you were saying there. So it is a thing that if you leave it at just the 30, 30 and 5%, like Irish whiskey could end up getting outperformed in its own category. And that's not something I think our native industry would want. Exactly. Look, my main thing by this is the current definition is it's just an embarrassment to, to the industry because it doesn't comply with anything either in our own history or in, in any of those bottlings I mentioned leading up to now, released every decade, they're, you know, red breast from the 80s doesn't comply to single pot still yeah. anymore. Um, so this is something that brings us back, gives uh, a better understanding, uh, a better in, uh, better opportunity for consumers and distilleries and, and producers to bring in all of these different flavors through the different grains. Um, Beside me here, I have a, a, a very interesting postal distillate, or should I say non-compliant postal distillate uh, from Boan. Um, from memory, I think this was a, I think this was a um, a two stacks um, uh, commission distillate. It is 40%, sorry, 30% malt, 40% barley, and 30% rye. Um, so this is, you know, that's pushing the upper echelon of the 30% uh, for rye. I'm going to do a little cork test here. Yeah, that's, that's oh. beautiful. Uh, but rye, rye in, in the distillate from, from Boamis has fantastic influence. And it's very impactful, even in tiny percentages. 
um, I think in their core distillate, they use it like 1.25% and it has a huge impact in tiny, yeah. tiny quantities like that. But it has these, these fantastic kind of cured meats, spiced meats, herbal, um, character to it. Um, it, and funny enough, this is, this is a kind of a half filled bottle. Um, it's been sitting for a while and it almost has a, um, it always has a, this a very alluring, um, almost like a, a milk chocolate aroma to it, oh, yeah. uh, which is very interesting. There's a lot going on. It's incredibly creamy and viscous as well. I mean, you know, you're looking at the, the, the pots and, but with that, like you said earlier, when you increase something like rye to 30%, it's the interaction by reducing the rest of what's in the bottle. So if this was a 50-50 mash to begin with, adding in 30% has to come from something else. And that has a huge interaction. But keeping the barley up, you're going to keep that spice in that and that kind of viscosity in, in some degree. When you get into oats, oats can kind of go two different directions depending on how you process them. Um, they tend to be very famous for being very creamy, uh, very thick and and uh, and viscous, um, but they can also be incredibly sweet, uh, depending on how you process them. The the viscosity can be reduced, but the sweetness through the roof in kind of almost like a uh, icing sugar, um, even in verging into um, kind of that kind of uh, frosting element, mm, uh, which, yeah. which is phenomenal. And one of the things some distillers are doing at the moment is. Um, producing mash bills to fit casks. You know, there's a certain uh, type of cask that they want to lay down. They find, say, 200 of these casks, um, but they want to have something that's big and dry and kind of, you know, almost a pastry quality, buttery pastry quality to it. And then they put in a load of wheat. Personally, I don't really like the inclusion of wheat in pot still, but that's a personal preference. Just because I don't want to put it in there, doesn't mean you or Blackwater or Church of Oak or Sleeve League or whoever else shouldn't have the ability to put it in there. And it doesn't mean they can't find, as you said, like with a cask, like it, it yeah. opens up the possibility for experiment. Like a, a, a wheat, wheated pot still whiskey might not be a thing. Just like wheated bourbon. Wheated bourbon is a thing that some people like, some people don't like. But in America, where they're locked in with virgin oak, Irish whiskey could say, oh, okay, wheated pot still isn't great, but wheated pot still that gets a sherry finish or a marsala. You know, it suddenly gets, yeah. Absolutely. And you can use it for other things as well. Like I mentioned, the rye being very flavorsome in small quantities, the oats very can be very sweet or viscous. Um, with the rye, because there's this very kind of buttery, oily, but dry characteristic to it, um, can be used in small quantities to add body and mouthfeel. Um so you know that that's that's always these things you can do with with these grains as a as a combination or as a as a, a layering effect, um, and I think what's funny when listening to some of the complaints of even people in in Whiskey Live, a number of people actually came to me and asked me that their fears of of pot still changing and the whole industry will come crashing down around their knees um, if we allow people to distill with oats over five percent. Um, but one of the things I was saying is they're saying it, it'll change the flavor. It won't, won't taste like pot still. But I mean, at the moment, you know, uh, two stacks, um, to talk about them again, um, made a peated pot still. It's, com it's GI compliant under the 5% limit, but it doesn't taste anything like a pot still you or I know because it's yeah. peated through the roof. You know, Cologne are doing peated expressions like that. You can take in chocolate malt or acid malt or, or crystal malt, and you can completely change how these the flavor processes mm -hmm. come through, even in the current GI compliant pot still definition. Yeah. So there's huge room for that experimentation, but to say that it, this de this definition keeps us in one flavor profile yeah. for consumers in a shelf position. And even then, like as you're saying, a lot of distilleries do do the the fifty fifty down the line, but like you, know, it's it's it does say at the end of the day, it's minimum thirty percent malted, minimum thirty percent unmalted. So if someone does a 70-30 split and someone else does a 30-70 split, they're already going to taste differently. So like the, the fear of people saying, oh, it'll taste different, it's already there. And it's it's it comes down to distilleries finding profiles that work. And like you said, there will be profiles that don't work. When, if you, when we expand the GI, we allow different grains in. And some distilleries are going to maybe stick to the 50-50 because that's what they like. That's what they, their profile is. So for those distilleries, they're probably not going to change. They might have an expression that's slightly different, but at the end of the day, it'll come back to 
it, there might be a, a, a change, it might be new distilleries that come out with new stuff that challenges the profiles in other distilleries and maybe is, is a better profile. And at the end of the day, what's good is going to stick. It's not going to be a change for the worse. It might be, a, there might be some expressions out there that come out that aren't that great, but what's good will stick. And so it'll only make things better. If they try, if the distillery tries the new grains, besides they don't like it, they can stick with the 50-50. They don't have to change what's already a tried and tested profile. Absolutely. Um, so I think this is one of those important points to to bring it back to why we're talking about this, and that is this potential uh, or I suppose indicated uh, consumer um, consultation period. Now, one of the things that the, it's coming from the Department of Agriculture, um, they want to know what can consumers opinions are on this change um there's a few things that go along with this um the period is going to be announced at some point supposedly in the next month you know uh, that might be two months i'm not really sure three months who knows um you know matt you know yourself governmental organizations not the fastest with with moving and shaking but um once it's announced usually these peri- these consultation periods will last for about a month is the kind of general trend. There's been a few um, in the, you know, the Department of Agriculture within kind of the food industry, um, which by the way, whiskey fall under food under yeah. all kind of categorizations um, of EU law. Um, they usually run about a month, um, but the government gets to decide who the public are. They get to define who the public are. Um, I haven't, I have investigated this and I haven't had a response from the department, but the, um, the lobbying groups um, that I've spoken to have said the department has defined public as consumers or, or has defined consumers as the public. So it's not stakeholders, it's not distillery owners, it's not tillage farmers, it's everyone at the moment. I assume within the either the Republic or the island of Ireland, um, but at that point, it will be very clear once it's announced um, who has the ability to give their consultation on this. The way it will be phrased isn't hasn't been set out yet, but most likely uh, what it will be phrased like is going to be essentially a list of the current definition, the proposed amendment, and, and go. It's going to be kind of a yes or no scenario at that point. Um, and that's, that's I, I'm not infallible. I don't have direct information from the department here, so things can change a little bit, but I'm just trying to outline what it appears is going to be at this point. Yeah, and when dealing with public consultations, it is important, I think, at the outset to give feedback that is usable. That's, you know, it's like, like it's all well and good for, for a consumer to say, you know, back in my day when my grandfather told me about whiskey, if they go into that, that might end up getting become, giving feedback that gets lost, unfortunately. It could be very valuable, it could be very, very true, but it comes out very lost. And like you said, like, it might be, here's this, here's this, go, what do you think? So... I think if someone does want to give feedback, it's always important to kind of set out, I support it. I don't support you know, like be, be, yeah. be clear because when someone is going to be, if there's a hundred, a thousand, 10,000 responses to this, someone's going to have to collate them and collect them and say, who supported, who didn't support? Did they support 30%? Did they support 10%? Five, you know, what did they support? So I think it's important to kind of, if you want to give a bit of a story, a bit of a color, a bit of a flavor, yes. But also upfront, I think always be very clear with, I support it. I support the new definition. Here's the reasons why. I kind of go into I support it for, as we were saying, like crop rotation, biodiversity, historical reasons. I kind of break it down so that if someone's summarizing it, they can say there were a hundred responses that said that mentioned biodiversity. There were two hundred responses that said, you know, there were hi- historical reasons for it, and there were five hundred reasons that said freedom for expression for distilleries. You know, so they have this idea that you can actually summarize your responses and then it becomes meaningful feedback that then can impact what happens on the consumers. Because if it's a bit scattershot, it, the, the ability of the consumer to actually get meaningful change might be kind of constrained by that. Exactly. And, and a reminder that this cons- consultation period is arguing over the definition of a subcategory of Irish whiskey. It's not arguing over all Irish whiskies. It's not arguing any other side points about whether you think all grains have to be Irish or all water has to be harvested from the moon or putching needs to change its technical file. Those are all irrelevant side points that we're not discussing in this consultation period. They can have their own consultation periods. They can have their own day in front of the department. 
this is specifically the question that's being asked. Um, and it is important to remember that this already has opponents for non-historic reasons, just people that are trying to oppose for the sake of it. So don't think just because it has almost 100% industry uh, support, which you would think as a definition for an industry would be enough for the Department of Agriculture to sign off on, but it clearly isn't. Um, and whoever the proponent, uh, opponents of this are, are clearly loud enough that this has now gone to, to public consultation, which is um, should be, say, enough that people do need to get out, get their voice heard, and, and, and speak in, in support of this point. Because again, it's not historically relevant. It doesn't comply with any of the pre-1980s that are out there. It constrains the distilleries into this fanciful, like 5% other grains are just pulled out of the air. Yeah. It was just a, a recipe that was left and they went, yeah, fine, go with that. You know, that was it. If it, 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 there's, it doesn't give any um, throwback to any of the, at least the last 200 years of culinary history within Ireland, distilling history. Um, and it, it completely eradicates any of the kind of flavor diversity that comes with these grains. Um, it doesn't have a benefit to, to Irish uh, tillage industry. Um, you know, the, the, the tillage industry is already trying to argue with, um, uh, malting groups because, uh, malt is a commodity and, and it is essentially, it is a commodity, um, as it doesn't have a specialty use. It doesn't have a premiumization aspect to it, um, which these other grains would have. Um, and even, even if you look into other distilling industries like Scotland, the SWA is currently having advisory panel meetings, um, about basically what Ireland is doing. Um, they can see, they can see what's going on in the world of, uh, single pot still mix mashes. There's a number of distilleries that have come to me talking about mixed mash bills in Scotland, distilling them through columns, distilling them through pots, um, one of the things is in Scotland, anything that's not a single malt is single grain, regardless of how you distilled it, if it's a pot or a column. Um, and that's one of the things that they're meeting about is whether or not they should open up these other categories because the rest of the world, aka Ireland and people like the US, are getting ahead of them in this uh, innovation period, especially with, you know, if you get into the world of other woods and things like that, but that's, you know, that's elsewhere down the line. Um, but this area of mixed Mashville, rye whiskies, you know, um, oaten whiskies, this is very much a thing that the SWA are keeping an eye on and, and actively meeting about because they are seeing the consumer preferences, the flavor benefits uh, that these offer, and they don't want to be left behind. So it's incredibly amazing that we would leave ourselves behind. On yes. And unfortunately, like it is the, the conservative do nothing option is the easiest option because you know, the, the, we have, we have a, we have a GI, we have something, it is the easier option just to say, uh, there wasn't enough feedback or there were some loud voices that said we shouldn't change it. We'll we'll take a wait and see approach. And that could happen. You could easily see if there's not enough feedback or if the feedback isn't like usable enough or or if the industry participants aren't, you know, loud enough. Or I don't, they already are quite loud enough. I mean, some of the guys, the guys down at Blackwater are, are constantly talking about mixed bashables. But it's very easy. You can see how the conservative do-nothing option could end up winning. And then again, Irish whiskey just gets left behind because like the SWA are going um, new distilleries in America. Like there's companies in America that are experimenting with cask finishes. Up to now, you know, a bourbon that was finished in a different cask was something that was completely off the wall. Ongers never try it. And now that's that's coming on as something that's popular. So Irish whiskey can't just rely on the fact that, oh, we can use different casks anymore. We, yeah. You know, yeah. And, and this is the thing that having this diversity sets us above the likes of single malt as well in that sense because Scottish distilleries have a 12, a 15, or 21-year-old whiskey and all that differentiates those at different ages is just simply the cast maturation. They're the same whiskey three times, just different ages. This ability already to have this ability of single pot still and single malt gives us a, a, a premiumization and a diversification of flavor. But this addition of up to 30% of the grains, which are wheat, oats, and rye in this case, very much sets us apart in the pre world and gives us something to stand proudly about because 
the world of single malt is very scotch centric but the world yeah. of single pot still irish uh, single pot still whiskey is an irish is an irish tradition and an irish invention and it should it should be changed yeah, in way. the technical file and there's an easy i think you use what you call it earlier mash bill culture like there's this idea that you know people can find mash bills that that suit them and that, that they like and yeah it's a thing i i i because i i, I talk to a bunch of Americans, I know a bunch of Americans who, who are into bourbon and they say, oh, I love the new mash bill here. Or, you know, uh, a few of the distilleries use different mash bills and then they blend them together. But you can buy the individual mash bills if you go to the distillery and they're like, oh, I really like mash bill A, but I hate mash bill B. You know, they, they get into it. And consumers nowadays, you've got a essentially a supercomputer in your pocket with a mobile phone. You can find out information like that. So if you go to a bar, you can go, oh, what's this mash bill? Great. You can find it information with the whiskey and consumers yeah. are getting more picky. So why do we have the definition that just says, oh, Irish whiskey, it's the same because everyone goes 50-50. You know, if they have that bit of freedom, they can really get into it. And as you said, the premiumization of Irish whiskey. Yeah. As I said at the beginning, the, the inclusion of grains has a, at any level has a bigger impact on uh, the flavor profile than than the five to thirty percent. So the five to thirty percent jump in terms of flavor contribution and differentiation is a big factor, but it's not as big as the inclusion of grain in the first place. So the moment you add adjuncts, you get closer to that oilier, creamier, uh, more viscous mouthfeel um, that we're famous for. So already we're able to see that these grains are doing exactly what the pot still category was built upon. So adding these extra third, well, additional twenty five percent of being able to be added just brings flavor diversity in that sense, whether it be floral, creamy, sweet, um, in terms of sweet, uh, you can have multitudes of different types of sweet, um, okay. whether it be dry or buttery or, or, or flaky pastry qualities or whatever it might be. Um, this is where you've got the innovation abounds. It's not going to, you know, change, you know, the, the likes of, you know, your red breast is going to still be red breast. Yeah. They're not going to they're not going to change the red breast recipe, you know. But where you are going to see change is going to be, you know, Mickle are going to have a their own house mash bill that's that's based on the the topographical grains of of the area of Connemara, you know. And that's where you can get into those those innovations, you know. Um and it's funny when you mentioned the the mash bills in the states, I I'm a bit I'm a big fan of American whiskies. Um but wheated bourbon is like my least favorite of the bourbon categories. And it's funny because it kind of trends a little bit to to my dislike of wheat in in, in Irish whiskies, um, but they're quite different because uh, wheat through a column, uh, like they do in the in the states, yeah. the, the bourbons, uh, is really sweet, or it's not really sweet, but it's quite sweet. Um, whereas wheat through a pot um, is very dry and and it's almost like a like a unsweetened, unsalted pastry flake, like just a pastry crust, um, quite buttery but just very dry and. Um, and kind of almost powdery in that sense. Um, so it's interesting to see even how they're prepared in the, you know, in the bourbon industry, you can use both pots and columns for, for that category. Irish whiskey, you will have to use the, the pot that the category is named after. Um, but I think it is that innovation that comes through here is where we're going to put a, a flag or a mark in the sand, a line in the sand to show the kind of rebirth of this industry. There's a huge amount of money being put into marketing and, and category development here. So with this is going to give us something to stand apart and stand out of on. Um, yeah. There's already distilleries making non-compliant pot still, um, makes mash real pot still, this is what I call it. Um, and they will release it. They'll release it as Irish whiskey and it'll be more confusing to the consumer. This absolutely banging, incredibly complex whiskey that's phenomenally filled with flavors. And they go, what is it? And you go, well, it's 6% oats. Yeah. So I can't it's, call it. So it's, it's Irish whiskey. Oh, it is. It is pot still. If you go back in the day and yeah. And like, and, yeah. and that's what consumers will be able to find out that it is compliant till until 19, whatever, you know, the, the definition was written in in 2014 um, just because one company, whatever, no one was paying attention to the writing of the file. And that's what we ended up with. Um, but as you said, people have supercomputers in their pockets and they'll be able to find out that the industry has left itself behind much in the same way that the Japanese industry had its own identity issues 
And I think this is going to be something that we need to fix now and grow and thrive. Because as I've said a number of times, we're not in, we're not in a renaissance of Irish whiskey. We're not in the, you know, the rebirth of Irish whiskey. We are in the fledgling walking stages. The, 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 the renaissance and rebirth is coming and that the boom is coming in my opinion. Um, we haven't hit it yet, uh, but I think it's going to be something that's going to be uh, absolutely laden with pot still whiskey. Fingers crossed. Uh, and fingers crossed, it gets called pot still whiskey. It's not the, the wink and the nudge that it is pot still. If you, if you look the other way, if you squint at it, it's pot still. Exactly, yeah, because there is there, there is demand. Consumers care about it. Consumers like the history. Like One of the big selling points, and whiskey is more than marketing, obviously. It is history. It is culture. But one of the selling points for a lot of the series is how old they are, how historic they are, but they're not following historical mash bills. And that lends that sense of authenticity. And it does help the idea of the rebirth of Irish whiskey. I mean, it's not the birth of Irish whiskey, it's the rebirth of Irish whiskey, the rediscovery of older mash bills, of historical ways of distilling that we did here. And that's not going to be complete until we actually are distilling stuff that we used to distill. Exactly. And calling it single pot still. Yeah. Um, I'm going to give you another little cork pop. Just because I love it. Such a great, such a great sound. Um, this again is that 30% rye. Absolutely phenomenal. Phenomenal nose on this. And again, it's very interesting, milky, uh, very viscous, creamy quality to it. Um, but I think that's that might have to do a little bit about sitting in the bottle. <laughs> Half <laughs> is rye. <laughs> exactly. A bit, of, a bit of oxygen interacting with it. Um, and every time you open that bottle, you get more oxygen in. <laughs> I know, I know, but I'm enjoying a lot more. As I said, I've shook it up now. A lot of that rye spice has come back. A lot of that herbaceousness. And I always think of almost a, a cured meats-esque, like someone's having that kind of almost like a pastrami sandwich or something. Um, really interesting grain. Um, and I think um, particularly the guys in, in Boan and, and any of the, the independent bottlers who are out there sourcing their own... Uh, custom distillates are going to see a very big differentiation point um, yeah. as we come into the, you know, as you said, Blackwater, um, Peter Mulryan just wrote a fantastic uh, article in uh, in a Scotch uh, publication uh, about how barley is essentially a commodity grain and it's everyone's forgotten about uh, all these other grains um, such as wheat oats, rye and, and, and maize or corn. Um, if you want to read that, it's a it's a really interesting read. Um, I have posted on Pot Stills uh, Facebook. Uh, you can check out that read. Um, what Peter Mulryan's doing, um, really, really great uh, mash wheels and, and a lot of very big flavor uh, investigations down in Blackwater, of course. Brendan in in Cologne um, is 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 looking at uh, historic recipes as well as you know pioneering for himself. Exactly. And I don't think that uh, anyone's going to question his legitimacy no matter what he um put whatever whether he has one bag or six bags of rye in his in his distillate at the end of the day. Yeah. Um but again, just to I suppose summate this public consultation period is coming. We will give you a heads up about it and uh, more so uh in the coming weeks as as time goes on. Um do get out, make sure your voice is heard. Um, remember the point that we are essentially arguing is the definition of a pot still as it has been proposed, which is to uh, constrain the grains, just oats, wheat and rye, which is uh, historically accurate for Irish whiskey distilling, and then to increase the adjunct grains or other grains allowance up to 30% to have this called as single pot still whiskey, which is accurate historically for over 200 years. Um, and it, it very much reflects what the category could be, but also traditionally is it expected to be also. Um, and a very and big thank you to... Email. That's the kind of email that, like, but again, it is a customer preference. It's not a lengthy form. You don't have to go anywhere to fill it. That could be an email that takes you five minutes to write, less than five minutes to write. Absolutely. I support it. I support the new definition. It's a good idea. Do it. Or you can get into the long spiel, or you can explain why you support it. But at the end of the day, it's one of those things that, like I was saying, the, the conservative do-nothing option is very easy. So unless consumers get their voices heard, they're not going to be heard. Exactly. And there will be opposition to this. So don't think that it's going to skip through and pass without any issue. Um, if you do want to get more information on 
the changes to single apostle or the original, uh, I suppose, history that informed um, the the submission, what we kind of fondly is known as 30, 30, 30, 30 malt barley, and then a maximum of 30 adjunct grains. You can check out the articles on potstill.com. Go to that search bar and type in single pot still. You'll find all of the um, supporting articles that were back in 2021. And then also some more current articles uh, about the upcoming change. Links abound um, or directly uh, message me, email me, uh, DM, Instagram, Twitter, whatever you feel like. Um, and we'll be able to get you those those art- articles. And um, if you want to inform your um, whiskey group or your local pub or whoever it might be, um, this is a, a, a call a call to arms to spread the word because um, this is our opportunity as consumers, in th- industry enthusiasts, whiskey imbibers, um, and distillery lovers to get out and get this law changed. But there won't be another uh, opportunity for a long time. Most likely not. No, um, very much, a, very much going to be a, a one shot deal here. But uh, a very big thank you to you, Matt, uh, to everyone who is at home listening in, and of course to our brand new sponsors, WD O'Connell Whiskey Merchants, phenomenal independent bottlers and whiskey merchants uh, who have now um, opened up their own bottling facility in Waterford. So you go check them out at WD O'Connell Whiskey Merchants if you if you want some fantastic whiskey, if you need a bottling partner. Um, get in, have a look on their socials. You can check out the whole bottling facility. Dahi, the owner, walks you through what they've they set up down there, as well as their phenomenal site that they're located on in terms of whiskey maturation. But also, uh, Dahi has patented uh, a load of uh, new technology and new ways of, of operating a uh, bottling hall, which has been uh, actually adopted by the um, the people that commission and build these uh, bottling facilities. So definitely want to check out. It's a very cool setup. Uh, and we'll be talking to him in the future. But until then, Matt, thank you very much to you at home. Thank you very much. Um, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Middle Cut from Puzzle Radio. Bye. Bye.